as our licentiate Alex Suarez comes uh, to read the scripture and to exposit it for us. Thank you, brother. Philippians 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which, so, which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look, For the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Finally, is the first word of this chapter, and by it we understand a transition towards the concluding exhortations of Paul's letter. Uh, The very first matter that Paul exhorts the church to is to rejoice in the Lord. And you may recall from a reading you heard earlier today, or even from Philippians 1 in previous weeks, uh, the place that joy and rejoicing has uh, in Paul's thinking. 
If you look in chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says he rejoices that Christ is preached. And in verse 25 to 26 of the same chapter, that he is confident he should continue with them that their rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, we heard earlier, the church is exhorted to do all things without murmurings and disputings, that they may hold forth the word of life, and that Paul might rejoice in the day of Christ. Paul rejoiced in verse 17 through 18 at the thought of being offered upon the sacrifice and service of their faith. And in verse 28, we heard about Epaphroditus and Paul sending him that they might rejoice and Paul be the less sorrowful. From those references, we can see the state and activity that joy and rejoicing has in the thought of Paul of the Christian life and how integral he sees it as part of the Christian life. So that he, here he even commands it, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Understand by this command that Christians have a duty to rejoice, to joy and be glad in the Lord. The unbeliever, on the other hand, has no certain ground for rejoicing nor a certain command to rejoice. The, the Christian, right, we, the people of the Lord, however, though they be confronted in this life with a mixture so as to have reasons to grieve, and there are certainly reasons to grieve, even as the Apostle Paul himself will say, nevertheless they and congregation shall I say you, yet have great spiritual reasons to rejoice, to be glad in the Lord Jesus Christ, to attend all your duties with a joy derived from an understanding and meditation of the great work and knowledge of the Lord which you possess. Paul continues and follows his command, noting how it is not grievous for him to write the same thing to them. Rather, it is safe for them that he does so. It is safe that it makes for their firmness and certainty in these teachings, in the truth, and in the state that they stand. Notice it is not grievous, right? It's not troublesome for Paul to repeat himself on these matters. In our experience, Right? Uh, the need to repeat ourselves often comes from, you know, our hearer not giving attention to what we're saying. And that causes frustration and anger, right, that they're not paying attention to what we're saying. Or we may have seen, right, the perceived need to repeat oneself over and over again uh, from a desire to assert a demand. Think of protesters, right? They're just saying the same thing over and over and over again. Or you might think of a child, right, that has a meltdown and they're just yelling what they desire again and again. But by way of contrast, Paul will repeat himself gladly and with good affection toward his readers. Perhaps of the reasons that motivate him, we can think of uh, for him doing so, maybe here are two. First, Paul had an intimate understanding of the human mind that we may need repetition of that which we're to remember and think upon and apply, even as some of us, right, learning our catechisms and memorizing scripture from week to week. Further, we often need to hear a thing again from the word of God to capture a certain particularity of it, because the word of God is broad, but our souls are narrow, as one author put it, that we often can only take God's word in parts, right, every time we hear if it helps, you might think about like a deep dish entree, right? And it's scattered with different vegetables and meats throughout. And, you know, for the child, you might get a little sliver out, just what's enough that they can digest and take in. 
while the adult can take in a little bit more variety. Or to change the metaphor slightly, as scripture speaks of it, the younger Christian can gather milk to drink from the same passage that a more mature Christian can gather meat to eat. And even, right, as we need to eat more than just once, we often need to eat the same thing over again. All that to say there is a wonderful depth and broadness to the word of God by which we don't exhaust in returning to the same places over again. And often we need to do so, so long as we're in this life. Having said so much, the Apostle Paul turns to warn them. He says, beware, beware, that is, to take heed, to be watchful, to be vigilant of not falling prey to these kind of men. What men? Dogs. Evil workers. The concision. Dogs. A metaphor, right, is in Scripture is often impure and unclean. Evil workers describing their activity. The concision, or the mutilated, those Judaizers who thought circumcision necessary for righteousness. Beware of them, Paul says in verse 3, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Those dogs, those evil workers, the concision, the mutilated, they trust in their outward forms, in their mutilation of the flesh, but we, we rest on the true import of circumcision. We are those who worship in spirit and truth, having hearts purified by faith in Christ, rejoicing in him and placing no confidence in fleshly things to purify us. You might ask, what is it to have fleshly confidence or confidence in fleshly things? Well, Paul gives us an example in verse 4 through 6, right? If anyone wants to boast and think they have something to boast about, well, more so I, right, to circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, that is, he's not a proselyte coming to Israel, of the school of the Pharisees, in zeal, persecuting the church, blameless as to outward righteousness. But what things were gained to me, he says in verse 7, whatever benefit I derived from them in this life or in my mind, those I counted loss for Christ. We might ask as to what Paul means that he counted these things as loss for Christ. Well, we can understand there must be a complete departure from things like persecuting the church or following in the school of the Pharisees. Yet, he is still circumcised. He's still a Jew. He's still Hebrew, the tribe of Benjamin. Those things cannot be undone. But he says, those things I counted loss for Christ. That is... He does not rely upon them for spiritual standing. He reckons them as loss. Think of the loss of possessions that is had in a shipwreck. Right? There's no getting them anymore. They are lost to him insofar as being something to give him confidence and strength. These are mere outward fleshly and carnal things to be confident in. His soul cannot lean upon them for any spiritual confidence. No, not even as to good works and as external obedience. The soul must go to Christ and recline there. And if there be any additional things that can be thought of where the soul may recede to. The Apostle Paul doubles down and broadens the application in verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. Congregation, whatsoever stops up the way to Christ even good, lawful, and commanded things. Turn your heart from resting upon them. 
They cannot bear the weight of your soul leaning up against them. Only Christ can. And so the Apostle Paul counts all things as lost for the excellency, he says, of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. The excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. That eminent or supreme knowing of Christ. Notice it is a knowledge that Paul counts all things as lost for. A knowledge, a knowing of Christ. And it is as though the more the apostle considers Christ in the flow of his writing, the more vehement he becomes, the greater consideration he gives to the fullness and preciousness of Christ. As we heard earlier today, he says, I count all things but loss for Christ for whom I have suffered, the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. He has suffered the loss of any fleshly thing that would have propped him up and put him forward in this world. And he does not shed a tear with nostalgia as though he misses this fleshly benefit, right, of the good old days, but looks back and considers it as what? As dung, as excrement in comparison to the righteousness of Christ that he may win Jesus and be found in him. Notice here the necessity of doing one to gain the other, right? He can't hold on with some attachment to the past and bring it alongside of Christ. It must be Christ and him alone that he seeks to lay hold of while he rejects anything that should come up as a contender within his own bosom so as to have confidence in it. I count all things as loss, in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Paul is ever endeavoring to know, as one commentator put it, not notionally only, maybe perhaps as we memorize catechism, right, but practically, not apprehensively, but affectively. Not with that knowledge that is only standing in speculation, but that is directive of life. Paul is ever endeavoring to know the power of his resurrection, that spiritual power that begins in awakening the saints from spiritual death under the dominion of sin to new life, all the way, right, beginning there, all the way to its operation in raising and transforming our corrupt bodies from the dead and making them like our Lord's. He endeavors to know the fellowship of his sufferings, being made a partaker of suffering as a member of Christ's body and thereby a way to share conformity unto his Savior and communion with him. He endeavors to know that, in verse 11, if by any means he might attain to the resurrection of the dead, that is, to the state of perfection, whereby he shall be entirely free of sin and corruption and perfectly upright and holy in both body and soul. He was ready and willing to do and suffer anything and count all but loss, as he said earlier, that he might attain unto this end. Lest we be mistaken and miss what he said so far, right? Paul wants to make sure we don't think he's reached some state of perfection. In verse 12, Not as though I had already attained, either already perfect, but I follow after, that I may apprehend. And in verse 13 through 14, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in God, of God in Christ Jesus. These things have not reached completion and fulfillment. Friends, regeneration, conversion, justification, right? It's only the beginning. It's only the beginning of salvation. 
And these still remain, right, there still remains a work in going forward, a saving work currently in progress, as we so well heard earlier today. Paul's counting all things as lost that he may know and win Christ. It was not a one-time decision, but the beginning of a road that had yet not received or reached its destination of perfection and choosing Christ daily. What then does Paul do? Well, he forgets those things which are behind him. And he reaches forth unto those things which are before that are ahead. He does not rest and relax upon prior experiences or upon those things that went before him in the past, right? Or prior progress, or as we heard uh, that uh, example of being on fire in the past, right? Uh, No, he reaches forth still with greater eagerness. He presses toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, And congregation, where is the mark which you are endeavoring after? Is it to attain the resurrection of the dead? Or something lesser? Have you become content to rest in observances? Or in some past experience or some form of present order? Rather than the glorious future which awaits? Those whose confidence is ever increasing in Christ and seeking more and more to know him and his power with single focused aim for the glory and communion that awaits? Brothers and sisters, let us continually stir up one another to raise the mark we are aiming at, we are directing our lives to, and keep that mark, right, where it needs to be, where Christ our Lord is. Verse 15, let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. Be what minded? Minded to make Christ all in all and set their hearts upon another world, as Matthew Henry said it. Saints may disagree about Many other things in this life. But they agree in this. That Christ is a Christian's all. Both here and hereafter. And so while there are maybe many matters of which there's difference of opinion. Matters of lesser importance even indifferent among the saints. They are to walk by the same rule the apostle says. Mind the same thing. Joining in all that which they agree upon already. Refusing to bring judgment upon one another. Allowing the Lord to give greater light in due time and by use of proper means. There is to be gentleness and forbearance among God's people. Being wary to rupture the church of Christ over smaller or lesser and even indifferent matters. And so to his conclusion of this chapter, by putting forward his own example and those who walk likewise, in doing so, he makes mention with great sorrow of those who have apostatized. They are enemies of the cross of Christ. They are belly worshippers, as you might say, following the lead of their gut. They make it their God. They mind earthly things. Their end is destruction. Brothers and sisters, the danger is real. We must set up. Godliness is our example after the sort that Paul speaks of here. For there is a danger to all that would walk astray by some bad example and associations till they are the enemy of the cross of Christ. But, he ends, our conversation is in heaven. We are heavenly minded, even as we be about the earth. It is heaven we look to and look for, awaiting for the return of Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. This, this is the mark, the standard which we look and strive for forward till that day should arrive. And that ends our time in Philippians 3.